You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank... Yeah. Um, the Bucks lost 111-79 to to the league's worst team on Saturday night. And honestly, that score may be a little bit closer than that game felt. Which is saying something because they lost by 32 points. That uh, embarrassing, unacceptable. Um, I'm trying to think of other words that properly capture exactly what happened on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I mean, the Bucks had a couple of days off to quote-unquote prepare. The Mavericks were coming off a back-to-back, and the Bucks were not prepared. Um I believe at the halftime interview, uh, assistant coach Eric Hughes talked about them planning to, you know, stop the Mavericks from shooting lots of threes because that's what the Mavericks like to do. And um, neither the coaching staff, the coaching staff didn't seem to have any ideas that obviously did anything on that front, nor did the players um, seem to have any clue about how to execute anything. Nope. Um, and by the fourth quarter, uh, what, J.J. Barea and Devin Harris both were hitting 30-foot threes. <laughs> and, I mean, this was the kind of game that even if the Bucks, you know, had actually shown up for, they might have lost just because, I don't know, like it seemed like the Mavericks were just making everything on top of that. But you don't lose by 32 points to, you know, a team this terrible without basically just a top-to-bottom failure, right? I mean, yep coaching staff obviously everybody's going to focus on the coaching staff because that's the least like part of this team um understandably uh but you know Giannis was bad on on both ends yes he was you know Chris Middleton basically Chris Middleton was the only guy who could do anything shooting the ball today um unfortunately Chris Middleton's nine out of 12 shooting performance was completely wasted and lost uh, in this effort but Eric Bledsoe was very bad um the defense, which, you know, I was encouraged to see them switching. It seemed like more early on, but yep. they just collapsed every time somebody seemed to try to drive to the basket and there were open guys uh, for three-pointers at every turn. And, um, you know, you just look at this again. This The, the Mavericks are a team that finished – that were bottom three, I think, bottom three or four in both offense and defense. Yep. And the Bucks come out and score 84 points per 100, which is abysmal. And they concede 118 points per 100, which is abysmal. So um, there's there's no there's nothing to, to take from this in any way that's a positive. It's just you know uh, an embarrassment and clearly uh, an example of a team that you know probably felt a little bit good about itself and yep. said, oh, we've won four in a row and we're playing a bad team. 
never mind that a year ago they came in with the Mavericks without a win and you know at least they didn't give up a billion points last year last year they went to overtime yeah. and basically a rock fight and lost and made Harrison Barnes look like an all-star um, yep. but this year they lose in embarrassing fashion yet again and you know I mean so I what is there to say? <laughs> I, I, guess. I guess you're based in Texas. Um, you spend some time in Dallas from time to time. Um, is, is there something about Dallas uh, that makes you want to stick around? That that might make you sluggish the next day, Frank? Um, because man, the I, I can't. That was uh, was that the Bucks' worst loss last year? I, I would probably say so. And well, I don't think they lost by enough points last year. I mean, it was a bad, bad loss, but they also, I think, I think didn't the, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I would say the Lakers loss at home oh, last yeah, year was, that one was, was definitely worse. worse. Um, that, you know, uh, I, I mean, the the only mitigating thing is that I guess it's not a home game. So uh, that, like, that, but that really only makes you feel better in the grand scheme of trying to call this the worst loss, you know, what, <laughs> What yeah. was a worse loss, right? That was the, that's like literally yeah. the only mitigating factor. Like, well, at least it wasn't at home, I guess. But I mean, come on, you know, obviously we're you know we're 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 not trying to paper over anything here. This was this was a terrible loss. But yeah, I mean, I I don't yeah. know. We'd have to really kind of you know really sharpen the pencils. And I'm I'm just I, I'm not that masochistic enough to yeah. try to find a, a worse loss off the top of my head. But certainly I, the Lakers' loss at home last year was a bad one. Yeah, and and I guess I'll say this. I feel confident saying this will go down as one of their worst losses of the season. Like uh, I can't imagine one getting a whole lot worse than thirty-two points, uh, a thirty-two point loss to. Uh, I don't see any world in which the Mavericks aren't one of the five worst teams in the league this year. Um, I, I can't really imagine one. So. Yeah, this is going to be one of the worst losses of the Bucks season, and um, obviously, I'm I'm not the type of guy that that freaks out about stuff, and am normally quick to say like, "Oh, it's just just one of 82." I'm struggling to say it on this one because everything was bad, and it's funny you mentioned the switching and doing a little bit more of that, and maybe this obviously this is totally anecdotal but it feels like the games where they've done a little bit more of that i I know we talked about that um after the pistons game we talked about how they were switching a little bit more and that that first road pistons game and that turned into a really ugly game defensively and part of me wonders if they're just struggling to actually comprehend the switches that they're supposed to make if they're having trouble communicating communicating the switches that you're supposed to make because obviously i think the the axiom that always goes along with switching defenses is people want to think like switching makes things easier but it ultimately the goal is to apply more pressure to the defense and to make that or to the offense and make them work harder so as a defense you have to talk more you have to be on top of everything you have to be uh, really focused and if you're not then garbage happens and I know people always get tired of me saying this on nights when the defense performs poorly because everyone just wants to say scheme 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 and yes the scheme is flawed we talk about the scheme all the time but no matter how flawed a system is if on top of it being flawed you don't execute you don't give any energy you don't give any effort all those things are buzzwords that people hate hearing but it's the truth like those things 
truly matter when you're playing defense. And if you don't bring any of them to the table, you don't bring any focus, you don't bring any effort, you don't bring any energy, it's going to look really, really bad. And honestly, if that was the effort they gave and they had the best scheme in the history of basketball, they're still losing by 15 points or more. Maybe 20, maybe even 32 still, because that was trash all around. No effort. Flat-footed everywhere on defense. Everyone getting lost on cuts. I don't know how many back cuts Giannis totally lost in that game. Same with Chris Middleton. Same with Tony Snell. Thonmaker attempting to cover Dirk Nowitzki. And in the same... Honestly, I almost want to go back and listen to our podcast after that Mavericks loss because... I think we got into a borderline argument last year uh, because I said something about how it was inexcusable for Thon to be so far away from Dirk and he was just getting killed every time Dirk was in. And you said, well, everyone gets killed by Dirk. Like, he's awesome, which is still true. And I, I still love Dirk, but maybe to a little bit lesser of an extent. And yeah, it happened again. So. Man, I, I'm trying to think of anything positive to take from it, and I can't. Like It was just trash, 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 and a total embarrassment. I think we have a short podcast today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what else we can really say about this one. I mean... Um, what do you it, think uh, offensively? Obviously, it was a bad night for Giannis. Chris was really the only one that gets going, but what, when you look at, at Bledsoe and Giannis kind of working together, not working together. Um, it's not something that I tend to have a lot of concerns about because they're both so talented, and I always tend to think that talent wins out. Um, but is there any part of you that wonders if they're struggling with like the every other Westbrook-Durant kind of situation that they might be having right now because both of them can't really shoot the spot-up threes where with a say if it was with Giannis and Chris, if Chris was off ball, you could always kind of set him up for a three, but that isn't the same with Bledsoe. Like, they both need to kind of drive into the same lanes because I was just thinking at the start of that third quarter, it seemed like Giannis seemed hell-bent on bringing the Bucks back, scoring the basketball, which led to some bad possessions, and then Bledsoe took those two pull-up jumpers from, like, 18 feet back to back and those were no just man's land like just like yeah. bad 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 really bad shots like like he, he was already like two for five on the night and he decided that those two were going to be what was going to get him going and it, it just seems like again going into the trade that was kind of something that everyone circled like how well do these two fit together do you have any more concerns about it just chalking it up to one bad game and hope they get back into the saddle uh, on Monday against the Wizards, or, or where are you at on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, like it, we've been saying, it's it's all about just building up sample size and trying to figure out what what is real with with this group, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's hard enough doing that. You know, we we we're starting to feel like we maybe we got, we're getting some sense of it. Um, and then obviously the trade happens, and then you know you've got the, obviously a very big variable introduced into it with with Bledsoe and. Um, so I, I I don't know I mean we'll see right I mean I I think you would expect that Bledsoe should make them better but um and and again so much of that is not just because of what he does but also just what he's replacing right and yep. Matthew Delvadova Mirza Toledovic both missing this game again um and 
I mean, whatever. Like that was completely incidental to to the results. Obviously, I don't think those guys make any difference, better or worse, right? In in yeah. a game like this, but um, but uh, but uh, we'll see. I mean, yeah. I mean, if Eric Bledsoe is you know trying to shoot jumpers and and missing a bunch of mid-range jumpers and the Bucks are not going to look good offensively. Um, and the shame was, I think it was in the second quarter, I mean, he got the Bucks into the penalty very early yep. just by drawing a bunch of fouls. And, you know, that was uh, actually a kind of a bright part of the game, which we've obviously all kind of forgotten because the rest of it was so bad. <laughs> yeah, no, that's um, a brute force speed dynamic that no one else on the team has. Right. Um, but, you know, either way, I think, you know, and I like this, uh, like this I think um, all the Bucks on Twitter – had you know Giannis was like three out of seven at the restricted area and just yep. I mean just blew a couple layups like just I don't think he had a dunk tonight I don't think so um, which mm, might yeah, be I, think, I almost don't think so I think um, he maybe had one other game without a dunk this season um, and again like uh, Dallas is a bad defensive team so there's no you know reason for them to contain Giannis um, nope. part of it was just him playing poorly. Um, you know, could the Bucks have done a better job? Clearly, right? <laughs> Clearly, the Bucks <laughs> could have done better, um, having a better plan to to attack this team. Um, but obviously, you know, whatever plans they had didn't work and were not executed. And you know, list off five or eight other things that that didn't work tonight. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, we'll just kind of keep watching it. I think. Um, you know, again, it's it's the, the the lineup data. You know, and and again, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I always kind of struggle with this a little bit. You know, like I, it's hard to kind of really draw big conclusions unless it got, you know a few guys have played maybe like a few hundred or more minutes together. Yeah. And uh, again, you're just not really going to see that level of sample size early in the season um, unless again um, it's your starting five and they've been together early in the season and you know up up until now we haven't don't have any bucks lineups that have played more than 98 minutes together and that's the old starting five with with henson and brockton so um you know again it's it's just kind of at this point like uh, i think it's hard to kind of make a, a big conclusion one or the other but obviously blood so you know we know what he is we know he's very talented yeah. um you know and the starting five with Bledsoe, 70 minutes now. I mean, their numbers are 114 offensive rating, 104 defensive rating. So, I mean, that lineup has still been good, right, no matter what might have happened uh, on Saturday. So um, hopefully, I mean, you know, again, if you, if those numbers project out and, and stay roughly constant, you'd feel very good, right, because yep. those are very good offensive numbers and good good enough defensive numbers. But, you know, we'll, we'll just have to kind of see how it evolves. And um, obviously a game Monday night against a Wizards team that is also not lighting the world on fire right now. Uh, but that's a a big game for both teams. Uh, the Wizards coming into Milwaukee at nine and seven, the Bucks at eight and seven. So one other thing I wanted to talk about, and then we can get out because, like you said, there's not a lot to talk about in this one. It, it was ugly. It was awful. It was bad in pretty much every respect. Um, but one thing I've been curious about is. I know Matt Velasquez brought it up on Saturday, and I told him I look forward to talking to him about it tomorrow before the game. But the pace of this game was 93.9. And the pace of their, I think, I'm almost thinking every game since Bledsoe's been here, has been slow. And again, that, that can have a lot to do with your opponents. And uh, not necess- it doesn't necessarily mean you're not pushing in transition. It can mean you're just going longer into shot clocks and stuff like that. But 
Matt had mentioned, well, the Bucks aren't really dictating pace, tempo right now. They're just kind of letting the Mavs do that, which when the Mavs are coming off a of back-to-back and you have fresh legs and you have a, a team with two guys in Giannis and Eric Bledsoe that can push it better than anyone else, maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe you should be trying to push at them. But that led me to a better, or I guess a bigger question. Do the Bucks have a pace right now? Like, is there a pace that is Bucks pace? Like, whether that's slow, whether that's fast, whether that's pushing at times, not pushing at others. Like, do they have a pace right now? Like, I'm just trying to think of the Bucks identity, and I really struggle with it. Like, is it a strong defensive team? Is it a, a very good offensive team? Is it a fast breaking? Like, I just don't know what this team is. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say no. They don't really have uh, a clear identity. I mean, in terms of pace, the the pace is, you know, get the ball to Giannis off a rebound and then hope that he can just go through the whole team and, and get a bucket, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I thought about this a little bit because Giannis is... You know, when we think about Giannis as a playmaker, um, you know, I I, I thought back the other day, remember that triple-double he had against the Lakers um, during his kind of breakout Mm post-All-Star period in in the spring of 2016? I remember he had, like, one or two plays where... I I think he had, like, one play where he, like, threw, like, a one-handed, like, cross-court pass to O.J. Mayo in the corner. Uh And it's kind of interesting because it's, like, it's almost like Giannis has gotten too good at scoring that, like, you know, like, it's sort of those things, like... (sighs) Yeah, when you think about it, like Chris Middleton, like when he drives the basket and how many assists he gets, you know, when he gets like a little bit of a crease and then dumps it off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why Giannis, why Giannis's assists are up or assists are down is is part of it's obviously because I mean he doesn't dribble the ball up. Like it's not like he stands at the top of the key and waits for guys to cut off screens and then you know shoot jumpers off catches, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not picking up assists like that. Like he actually did some of that a couple of years ago. And again, like. You know, if that's really, exp- I don't, I'm not going to act like that's exploiting Giannis's full toolkit to its best necessarily. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I mean, is he uniquely talented at that? I don't think necessarily that's the case. Um, but the other piece too is, I mean, when he's driving to the basket, I mean, how often is Giannis driving to the basket and your thought is, oh, pass it, pass it. You know, like <laughs> re- really the the only time you want Giannis to pass it is if he's double teamed. Um, or if, you know, there's just somebody who's like wide open next to the basket or something like yeah. that. Right. Um, and a- again, like, I don't, I don't, as a passer, I don't think we've seen any real, I don't know. And I, I, maybe I think we've seen a little bit in terms of him recognizing like the guy open in the corner. Man, I, I, I thought the most was the home Cleveland game. That game, yeah. I felt like he was really kind of seeing some of those things, but outside of that game, correct. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, it's one of those things like I don't I'm not particularly concerned concerned about Giannis's assist numbers or passing um, because again his individual use is a job right he's yeah. taking 20 shots a game um, and he's very efficient as a scorer obviously not on Saturday but for the most part if Giannis is getting the ball um, and he's going to the basket um, you know yes if teams double then he should be passing but other than that you know your best your best odds are of Giannis trying to get a few feet from the hoop and then trying to score because yep. um, he's exceptionally talented as that um, so any, anyway I don't, I don't know where, where I was totally going with that but but uh, it, I don't know I it, think it, it just speaks a- to, to his changing like I, I don't want to say his changing player personality like the player that he is like I, I just think it, it, it's changed from year to year and 
maybe that like peak point Giannis time was during the time where he could get to the rim, but like he wasn't quite as good at it. Where it didn't make sense to always shoot at the rim, and it made more sense to to try to pass and try to create for others. And now maybe it makes more sense to create for himself. So um, I, don't, I I would agree though. Like he he is kind of ever changing as a player, and with this next step as a scorer, I think you're going to kind of see that. So I, I don't know it, the I, I think the Bucks' identity and Giannis's identity are are kind of interesting questions that I've been thinking about for the last five games since Bledsoe's been here. Yeah, and I think the other thing too, I mean, I think back to the spring of 2016, I mean, you know, as much as we obviously joke about the Miles Plumlee contract and and how fortunate the Bucks are to have rid themselves of, Plum, of Plumlee, um, you know, he was a guy that, that, that Giannis was actually able to run some pick and roll with and throw lobs to and get um, get some some buckets or some some assists sort of at the rim on and at this point you know for the most part you know especially when Thon's out there and he's spacing um, Thon's you know pretty much doesn't do anything as a role man like he has no strength to like jump up and finish alley-oops or anything like that as a role guy um, and even though Henson has some of that and has shown more of that with with uh, Middleton um, for the most part like when Giannis is in pick and rolls, like they pretty much just hard hedge with the guard and then it pretty much slows down any pick and roll and he ends up, you know, either just turning it into a post up or something like that. So, um, so yeah, it's just sort of the, the way teams have defensed Giannis has also changed a fair bit too. Like I think if, if team just went under screens and played it kind of more straight up rather than kind of doing what they do now, then it might be a little bit different. Honestly, I need to watch a bit more Philly games because I'm kind of curious how teams are defending Simmons. Like it seems like they just hang so far back off Ben Simmons that it almost plays into his hands a very a, a fair bit. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if, especially on pick and rolls, like they wouldn't be better off like really hard hedging with with the smaller player, um, kind of like teams do with Giannis. Yeah. But I, I don't know. We'll we'll be interesting to kind of be one of those things that that uh, that we can keep an eye out for. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of funny as you were as you were asking. The, the the pace numbers with bloods in those big Bledsoe lineups are actually pretty quick still. Like it feels like the games with since Bledsoe trade have have generally been pretty slow. slow. But I'm not sure that's really a Bledsoe effect mm, so much yeah. as just the rest of the team. And you know, as much as Bledsoe can at least push it a little bit in transition, um, you know, we've seen Chris, we've talked about Chris and Tony Snell trying to be like trail three point shooters in transition, which is great. That's important. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I think this team still just doesn't have a mindset of playing fast other than Giannis mm-hmm. just going coast to coast, basically. Um, and obviously a lot of that's because, like, they're just not, you know, gunners. And, you know, I, 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 I since I watched the, the Rockets the most of any other non-Bucks team, you know, I just want to, like, remind people, it's like when Harden has it in half court, like, I don't think the Rockets necessarily play that fast. Like, a lot of their sets can kind of grind, can kind of, like, turn into just like a bunch of guys just watching hard and run a one five pick and roll like mm-hmm. you know there you know as, as much as we kind of romanticize like the the rockets offense and it's incredible so it, it should be romanticized <laughs> to some extent but um but it, it's basically i mean when i think about the rockets offense i mean it's it's really driven by the fact that you have just one just incredible singular player. Yep. And obviously now you're getting Chris Paul. We'll see how that works. But with Harden is so dangerous as a playmaker and scorer um, and his ability to, you know, shoot threes, get to the rim, throw the little, you know, when he gets into the lane and you, you, 
you make that you, you basically take that extra step with your big guy to to try to defend hard and he throws it up for capella who just you know gets how many dunks a game doing that yep. um but other than that i mean there is a lot of like just guys standing around watching james harden and ryan anderson standing 28 feet from the hoop waiting to shoot ridiculously long <laughs> threes and um and you know but they just all have the green light all the time um to kind of do whatever they want you know i mean they no, nobody gets benched for shooting bad threes i mean i watched cory brewer for you know a year and a half just miss <laughs> shot after shot after shot and yeah you know d'antoni just let guys play um and that's sort of the the, the freedom and you know there's trade-offs with it but um and but i mean yeah, this I, was kind of what we were talking about the other day with dylan murphy um and again i've tweeted out some of his stuff before um but i do think one of the big things with playing quote-unquote fast is the freedom to shoot shots at any time in the clock and yeah. and maybe not even just the freedom the encouragement to shoot shots early in the clock because getting it over early is a huge part of it if you get it over with 21 seconds on the clock that's great for you but if you don't pose a threat at any point from 20 seconds on the shot clock to 12 seconds on the shot clock like everyone just knows you're setting up other secondary action for your primary action that's going to get you the shot at the end of the shot clock well then you're not really putting any more pressure on the defense despite getting it over early. And I, I think that's one thing I'm always kind of watching with this Bucks team is I kind of I really, I think that has turned into a dead zone. There have been times throughout Jason Kidd's tenure where they've really done a nice job pushing it over and getting it over uh, the, the half court line with 21 seconds on the clock. In fact, what was it last year, maybe two years ago when Jason actually told me that that's their target number, like get it over at 21 and get it into the offense. And that's great. But the bucks have, I mean, really shied away from early shot clock opportunities. Like, like those aren't shots that they like shooting. They always have the mantra of, well, that's a good one now, but we can get a great one later when in reality, like, good shots for NBA players are good shots for NBA players, period. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't matter when they, when you get them. Like, if you encourage them and empower them to take those shots, those, those are good shots. So, um, again, it's something uh, identity from a team standpoint, from an individual player's standpoint, I think really fascinating stuff and stuff I've been really interested in um, since Giannis is added or since the team has added another piece to Giannis and having him kind of figure out who he is now that there's another creator around. Yeah. And I mean, just to kind of get back. So, I mean, your original question, which I've been meandering around here for the last <laughs> 10 minutes was, you know, the, the Bucks and their pace and their, their style and their identity. Um, and I think the other piece of the pace thing too is like, if you're a team that just like wants to do high pick and roll, I mean, granted, like, lots of times you run a high pick and roll and then it, nothing's there and you back it out or you keep working the ball around. So it's not like, you know, every high pick and roll team is making two passes per possession or something and then, then shooting. But, you know, you just kind of think about intuitively, like what has to happen to get a shot when you run a high pick and roll offense, right? Like with, you know, take, take Harden as the extreme example. Um, first off, he's going to, you know, if you go under a screen, he's going to shoot the three every time and yep. he's, you know, going to, punish you many times if you do that um or he's gonna attack the basket he may throw the lob to capella he may get to the rim and score that way um he may kick it out for an open three um those guys are gonna shoot very quickly obviously um and again if you defend it well then they'll then they're gonna have to keep moving keep moving um a team like the bucks they, you know they, obviously they run some pick and roll 
You know, yep. it's not like they, they don't run any pick and roll. Certainly with Bledsoe, they're going to run pick and roll. Um, but you think about other actions that they run, like they run, you know, the corner series type plays where, you know, dr- guard dribbles it up. Big man has established position. Sometimes that doesn't happen right away. You finally get the ball to the big man. Then the guard has to go set up, you know, a screen over in the corner, you know, and and then and then you sort of start seeing the cascade of like action that kind of comes off of that. And I mean, just like by its very nature, like that kind of action, just I don't know. I mean, like again, this is just anecdotally from just watching this for the last few years. I mean, it just takes a while to develop a lot of times, yep. especially if teams are pressuring the ball and you know trying to deny that like initial pass to the big man. Who again, I mean. You know, the reason you do this is because it forces the other team to actually defend John Henson 23 feet from the basket, right? Yep. Um, now, you'd love it if you get the catch a little closer or whatever, but um, but it's a you know it's one way to force teams to bring big men out to the perimeter despite the fact that John Henson isn't a shooter is because they want to sort of try to break up that that action a little bit. So a lot of those things take a while, and, and obviously getting Giannis the ball, right? Because he's not a guy that is easy to get into actions just by, like, dribble it up and go into high pick and roll. Um, he used to have. He usually will have to go to the elbow and establish possession, and then get the ball, and then you know you got a little bit of movement to clear out the side, and then he's gonna kind of you know. I mean, I, I don't say this in like a negative way, but I mean Giannis sort of stops the ball, and he has to sort of survey, and he has to wait for stuff to clear out, and he's yep. trying to survey the defense, right? And that's not like I'm not saying that's like bad offense on Giannis's part, but it just isn't going to lead to super quick shots all the time necessarily, mm-hmm. and. I think you're, you know, you brought it up a fair bit that, you know, the the probably the fairest criticism I think of the Bucks offense is just especially on the backside there's just not a lot happening and it's just a lot of like, oh, Giannis is going to work. Okay, let's let's spot up here. Let's look down. Okay. Am I at the three-point line? Yep. I'm at the three-point line. Okay. Do I have my Civil War musket ready to go? <laughs> yep. Got my got my Civil War musket. Um and correctly, I forget who it was. Somebody asked if the uh, if Malcolm Brogdon was getting upgraded to like a World War 1 rifle or something like that. Well, I, I think th- he might probably. be. I think he might be. Um, yeah, but uh, but in general, yeah, I mean, a lot of what the Bucks do just takes a while to get going, and the irony is that their their pace stats are, I would say, deceptively fast in the sense that you know if you get an offensive rebound, the possession continues. Well, the Bucks don't get offensive rebounds; yep. <laughs> they're the worst in the league, so they have the fewest possessions extended by offensive rebounds. Um, so it's it's uh, that that's another aspect, and maybe it's 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 a little bit. Um, a little bit deceiving, but uh, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, that's that's the thing. I, I don't know what I, I don't know what the Bucks really are. Right? They don't yeah. have as much as people like to say, like, oh, there's just all these long, blah, 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 athletic blah, something guys. Like, no, offensively, it's Giannis, and then different types of guys around him. Most of them at this point can shoot, which is good, mm-hmm. um, but they're also not like a team that even shoots that many threes right like you yeah. can tell it's still not something that and whether it's purely a coaching thing whether it's just also guys it's, don't it's been down since Bledsoe got around yeah which yeah. also cor- i mean it corresponds with Toledovich being hurt et cetera et cetera et cetera et cetera et cetera, right. et cetera. Right. understood but it has been down the these last five games i think they were up around 27 and now they've been um i'm trying to think they shot 25 on uh saturday which is closer to I think that might be one of their highs in these five games, but most of the time it's been around 22. So that has taken a hit as well. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that's the question. I think that's certainly a fair critique of, you know, the Bucks during the Jason Kidd era is what are they trying to do? And it just feels like, you know, again, they have shot the ball well from three point range the last couple of years, but it's like they've had to 
fight their natural inclination or the, what the coaching, you know, the coaching staff didn't clearly come here four years ago with an intent on having this team shoot a lot of threes. And it's like, they've had to be dragged kicking and screaming into sort of this mindset of like, yeah, you should shoot a lot of threes. Cause that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's taken a while. And, and honestly, yeah. I think their identity was clearest in their first season, right? Like they were going to be really aggressive defensively. They were going to try to force a bunch of turnovers. They were going to play slow offensively. They were going to grind out games and attempt to beat you that way. And since that moment, I think it's gotten, I think it's gotten less clear. Uh, each each corresponding year has gotten i don't want to i guess it would be worse it has got the identity has become less clear uh for this team as the years have gone on and and i really do think like if you're a good basketball team you figure out what your identity is and you play to those strengths every night and i i think just watching this bucks team i don't think that they they know those strengths and like you said being tall with long arms is not an identity that that is not anything that is just physical attributes of players on your team it is nothing more so um i i think that's that's a big thing for this team going forward and i say all of this knowing that the bucks did win their last four games before this embarrassing outing uh, against the mavericks so um maybe they can kind of figure these things out while still winning basketball games but i think these are very serious questions that they have to ask themselves and figure out uh, as they go forward so we'll see if they can do that what one 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 other thing um from from the mavericks game i think one other fair critique and i was just looking through the popcorn machine game log just to see um just to confirm it but you know again the bucks have had a situation where they were playing against a team and in this case you know dirk Nowitzki played plays a lot of center now um and there's no there's no illusion that he is protecting the rim in any meaningful way which you know again makes the fact that you were not able to get Giannis anything going to the basket really um that much more problematic right because hey Maxi Kleber, uh, good for you for not being a terrible NBA player. Um, the other German in the buck in the Mavericks starting lineup, but you know, th- there's no reason looking at this team's statistical profile in the Mavericks that that you'd expect them to be able to prevent you from getting the rim. And um, you know, again, the Bucks played traditional centers basically the whole game. You know, yep. traditional being Thon and, and Henson, and you know, again, it's like, and again, if you play Giannis at center, like. The Mavericks are not. I, the Mavericks are not going to put Dirk Nowitzki on Giannis. Like, that's not going to happen. They're going to put somebody else on him. I mean, we saw Wes Matthews defend him for much of the night, right? Like, yeah. they're they would figure out a way to, you know, and whether it's putting Dirk on Tony Snell or something like that. I mean, I'm I'm guessing Rick Carlo would rather do that than put Dirk on Giannis. Um, but uh, it's still a, a, an obvious question of like, well, force if you've got that Dirk hand. out, like, yeah, force exactly. It. If you've got Dirk out there trying to play defense um, without, you know, a traditional center, and, and Kleber is, is, you know, he was an example of a guy who, you know, we saw a solid measure, measure a little bit. Ironically, no Nerlens Noel basically until the end. Um, but uh, again, like this is a team that that you have to be able to exploit, and I think that's obviously been a consistent drumbeat uh, against the kid administration has been, you know, no adjustments, lack of adjustments. Like if they see, you know, it, and again, I actually. I, I complain a lot less about Jason Kidd's rotations than I think a lot of people. Because yeah. um, to be honest, like 
the fact that bench guys kind of come in somewhat randomly is is a lot less of a concern to me just watching other teams who you know still don't stagger starters and things like that like at least the bucks do a lot of those basic things um in terms of keeping you know like middleton and Giannis, one of them on the court and you know there's a lot of basic stuff i was like okay like you're doing those obvious things fine mm-hmm. um but in terms of like saying hey that guy can't you know th- that lineup we should go small against that never really that that's so rare that we see the bucks really do that yeah. um slash do it with any success and it's almost like the bucks success in small ball lineups with Giannis has almost been the more accidental than anything which is pretty oh, frustrating our back is against the wall our centers are yeah. hurt uh, let's throw Giannis in there right. oh my god it worked like right i mean you could you could just not play thon in a first half or just not bring yeah. henson back in the first half you know i mean there's no there's no reason you have to keep trotting these guys out there, especially on a night like this where, um, I mean, the Mavericks didn't do that much in the paint, right? Like, they just killed the Bucks from three-point range. Yep. So, yeah, anyway, whatever. Um, same old, same old complaints, but uh, all right. I'm, I'm right. Should we talk about the Wizards and then get this over with? I'm sick of talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, let, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about the Washington Wizards. Um, like you said, they've been... I mean, I think they're kind of going through some of those same questions, maybe a little bit, trying to figure out exactly who they are, what they're doing uh, at this point. Uh, it hasn't been the best season for them, uh, especially a team with as much continuity as they have. Uh, I think they'd want to be out to a little bit stronger start, but they still are nine and six on the season, still fourth in the Eastern Conference. Um, so they're nine and th- seven. They lost tonight, I think, right? So nine and yeah. seven on the night uh, as they lost to Toronto or at Toronto. So another situation, one team on a back to back, and it's not the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and granted, I, what was was that an? Or, a late afternoon game um, against Toronto. Um, but either way, they're still trying to figure out a little bit of who they are, but both offensive and defensive rating in the top 10. Offensively, they are at 7th. Defensively, uh, they are at 8th, according to basketball reference. So they're doing some things right, despite not knowing exactly who they are. Um, what are you thinking about heading into this game? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a measuring stick game, you know. I mean that's the easiest way to put it. I mean, like you said, the the Wizards have a plus five point two um, point. At least they did coming into this game against Toronto. They had a plus five point two point differential, um, which is a, a very healthy point differential, better mm-hmm. than that's slightly better than their record. Um, so uh, again, I mean, uh, you know, are, are should we be convinced of Scott Brooks as a coach in the grand scheme of things? Should we be convinced that this roster is going to set them up to contend legitimately for an East title um, this year or in the next couple of years? Uh, you know, <laughs> the, again, it's it's not a deep roster. Um, it really is so much about those top three guys of Beal, Wall, and Porter. Um, but you know, they do enough on both sides of the ball, at least. You know what we saw last year, what we saw this year. Um, that you know, especially in the East, with as much uncertainty as there is, um, they they certainly have a chance. And um, certainly for the Bucks, I mean, this is a team that you're looking up uh, looking up at in the standings, both right now, uh, just ahead of you in the standings, and also obviously last year, this was a team that was clearly better than you, and they had the Bucks number in a, in a bunch of games. So um, you know, again, John Wall has not been great to start the year. Um, he's right at 20 points a game. Still getting nine assists, but I don't know. I, I was just watching kind of Wizards fan commentary. It seems like they're not 
maybe looking at Wall as having necessarily a, a, a great start um, to this season. Um, certainly, you know, slightly below average in terms of scoring efficiency, but um, Bradley Beal has been very good, um, averaging around 24 a game. Uh, and Porter has been very effective um, for the most part. You know, not he's not like taking strides to become some high-volume score or anything like that, but um, his efficiency has remained very, very good. And um, the Bucks, unfortunately, know all about what happens when you leave Otto Porter alone in a corner uh, to shoot threes. Uh, Jabari Parker, uh, I'm, I'm just having visions of Jabari leaving Otto Porter yeah. wide open. But uh, but I don't know. They're going to be interesting to watch. You know, Markeith Morris is now back uh, after missing the first part of the season, and uh, I, I don't know. Um, they're uh, they're a team that. Uh, should be pretty good in the East. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't really buy them as coming out of the East, even with all the issues in Cleveland. But um, certainly for the Bucks, this is another team you're going to have to go through because certainly the Bucks don't have any better claim on it than, than the Wizards do at this point. And uh, I know this is normally something that our friend Matt Moore likes to talk about, but tiebreakers do end up mattering. And the Wizards are a team that could end up being a part of your tiebreaker um, at the end of the season. So the, this is a game that even though it is just the end of November and you are still trying to figure out exactly what's going on with the trade and you're coming off a bad game, like this is a game that you really do want to try to secure. Um, putting one of those wins in your back pocket and taking that forward for the rest of the season is is an undoubtedly good thing. So you uh, have to see what the Bucks can do there. Um John Wall, I think, is always just someone, one, I'm mesmerized watching him play basketball, even if he is uh, having a bit of a slow start. He just gets up and down the floor so quickly that I'm kind of interested to see what Eric Bledsoe does with him. Not that anyone stops John Wall, but uh, I just have visions of him dribbling through Bucks point guards past um, yeah. and just kind of going wherever he wanted and then eventually someone helping out and him just throwing it to a corner for a three and just getting very uh, very uh, annoyed watching it so we'll see kind of what happens there uh, I guess a nice thing three pointer temp rate for the Wizards is at 20 uh, so not necessarily a team that is going to just bludgeon you from behind the line that that isn't necessarily their, their thing but like you said they do have guys that can shoot it um and especially a guy not a porter that they do a nice job finding shots for in the corners so uh the bucks will have to watch that but yeah I, i'm interested to watch wall blood so and just kind of see how how the bucks deal with what is going to be one of their worst losses of the season? Do they come out fiery, focused, and ready to go? Is it a little bit of a hangover? Do they start pointing fingers? Like, does any of that happen? And I think that this this Monday night test will will be a good one and one that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the Bucks have have had some of their a couple of their worst uh, three point defensive outings over the past week, including obviously this game against Dallas where they gave up 19 three pointers made. Um, franchise but, record franchise record yes um, but it's kind of crazy I mean I, I was surprised they're, they're still the 10th best team in the league in terms of limiting opponent threes and obviously some of that is is pace um, and I haven't checked what the per 100 number is but um, but remarkably they're 10th in opponent attempts per game um, but they're dead last in terms of opponent percentage so you know we've kind of brought it up that that is probably making the uh, well that is making them look worse than 
than they are defensively. And again, I hesitate to try to find silver linings for this team after like what we saw in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, opponents are shooting forty percent. I mean, they're the the twenty ninth ranked team is is getting up thirty nine percent, basically a whole percentage point uh, better than the Bucks. Um, so they're they're pretty far off the grid right now in terms of opponent three point percentage, which you know as we've said many times tends to be pretty random over the course of a season. So um, you know, again, the, the problem is you know we're now uh, fifteen games into the season and it's been bad, and there's no guarantee that it's just that it will mean revert. Yep. Um, so if that number stays bad, you know, your odds of being able to, you know, compete at a high level defensively are, are pretty low. Cause again, a few percent, you know, if, if league averages, let's say 36%, um, you know, if you're giving up 4% above that and you give up, you know, 27 threes per game, you know, again, that's, that's yeah. over one, that's over one more three made per game just because, you know, again, and again, I don't, I, you know, there's obviously a lot that goes into that, but if if you do treat it as purely random, um, that's that's over three points more per game you're giving up, which is yep. you know the difference between being a team in the high 40s or you know a 500 team. So um, that's that's a concern, um, and you don't want to like you know again take any of the pressure off the Bucks to play better defensively because you know again it could be that they're also giving up more open threes, whatever it might be, but. Um, but yeah, so that's one of those things that will be interesting to watch. We saw uh, in the first couple of games after Bledsoe arrived that they gave up some pretty bad shooting nights to the Lakers and Spurs, and you know those teams really didn't punish them from three. And again, you would expect more of those nights because kind of it's been you know unsustainably bad thus far. But I don't know. I feel like you never want to bet against the Bucks defense mean reverting in a good way because because we've we've seen we've seen them struggle for you know two straight years plus now uh to defend at any type of level and that that issue uh about allowing a high three-point percentage um you know that doesn't speak at all to the fact that they've still been the worst team in the league in allowing um shots at the rim um which again is you know the other thing right like take something away well Uh you don't take that away even if you do a decent job protecting the perimeter um you're not going to be a great defense um if you, no. if you don't do that so anyway all right frank i've had enough of this um i i hope that we drove home the point that what happened on saturday is not okay it is not excusable it is quite embarrassing and it was awful and i would prefer never to see a performance like that again i'm sure at some point we will um but that was about as bad as it gets on saturday and hopefully the bucks bounce back from it and start on the path to figure out who they are and what their identity is and start working towards winning some basketball games so we'll see if they can do that uh tonight by the time you listen to it uh they will have the wizards on monday night in the bmo harris bradley center so that'll be their next game and uh, they will have a chance let's see now they are eight and seven and they will have a chance to go to above 500 again and frank i was just thinking about this was last year was always they always struggled to get to three over 500 right was that the problem last year? I'm trying to. Th- wasn't there a number that every time they got, I think it was two over 500, they couldn't get to three. Um, but maybe I'm making that up. And so, there's something like that. I don't remember what it was exactly. But I can't yeah, remember. Something like it that. was somewhere around there. Maybe it was one over and they couldn't get to two. But something like that. Uh, they they did it again here in Dallas. Uh, so we'll see if they can take care of business against the Wizards on Monday night. For Frank Men, this has been Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.